Did you know that the global mattress industry is around $50 billion? It's a lot of money. And it's projected to hit about $80 billion by 2030. And what's interesting is even though Americans are only 4% of the world, we make up a third of that whole budget. We love our sleep. We like our comfy beds. How many of you got good sleep last night? Yeah, how many of you didn't get good sleep last night? Yeah, wow, it's really torn. Well, good thing we gave you coffee. You know, it's good for us to get adequate sleep, good to get those whole whole, uh, REM cycles in, that whole thing. The question we have for us today is, are we spiritually sleeping? Are are you spiritually sleeping? So yeah, you're you're awake physically. I mean, some of you might doze off in about 10 minutes. Hopefully not, but you know, you might. It's okay. It's a safe place. I'm not judging from here, even though I can see you. You laugh. It happens every week. Just a little bit. But... Are you spiritually sleeping? Today's sermon is part two of this reminder that God will do whatever it takes to get our attention. There was the fierce storm, and then today is the captain and the crew. Next week is the big fish. Let's read from Jonah chapter one, and we're gonna see how Jonah is sleeping, and we're gonna use that to springboard in this principle of spiritual sleep. So Jonah chapter one, verses four, five, and six. It starts off this way, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise. Call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give you, will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Okay, so let's pause there. If you recall chapter one, the book of Jonah, it begins with arise and go. But then it says, but Jonah. And then it says, but the Lord, or but Yahweh. Verse six captures the scene that we're gonna focus on today with this wake-up call from the captain. The captain goes down to the lowest part of the vessel and he says, how can you be sleeping at a time like this? Arise. Another way to say it is, what are you doing, sleeper? Get up, get out of bed. Sounds like some of you parents of teenagers trying to wake your kids up for school, you know? Summer's over. What are you doing? Let's get out of here. We're late. Jonah hits an extremely low moment in his life. And you know you're wandering from God when God sends an unbeliever to rebuke you. You know, it's kind of like when you have your coworker who's totally godless, doesn't have anything to care about the things of the Lord or scripture or Jesus Christ. He's telling dirty jokes and cussing up and down. And then you start laughing. He's like, what are you laughing about? Aren't that you're a Christian? You know, that kind of thing. Here you have God using this captain, to get a hold of Jonah. Jonah is told to wake up, but he's also told something else. He's told to arise and to call out to his God. This is the second time Jonah is told to arise. I wanna encourage you as we're reading through the book of Jonah, this whole series, to circle every time you see arise. It's pretty interesting because first he's told to arise and then he wanders off. 
And now he's told to arise again. Uh, in a little bit, we see that the Lord gives him the same test that he gave him in chapter one. After he gets spit out of the fish, he's told to arise, and then he actually goes. We even see the king of Nineveh, after he hears the message, that he um, arose out of um, his chambers. So anyway, arise is one of those key words in this book. Now, when God spiritually wakes us up, he doesn't just say, hey, sure, wake up and lay there on your phone and uh, just kind of waste the morning away. No, he says, get out of bed. Let's go to work. Let's go to battle. Revelation 3.2 puts it this way. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. And the captain tells Jonah to cry out to his God, right? Now let's face it, Jonah's prayers will be the only ones actually heard because Jonah's the only one who knows the real God who actually hears prayers. Everyone else is just crying out to a God, which is like totally made up in their heads and throughout the tradition of time. God is the only one who's alive, Yahweh, right? He's the one praying to him. The sailors, they might be praying with great urgency, they might be praying with great passion, but they were praying to a non-existent God. Friends, let's remember that a false faith is still false, even if you're devoted and even if you're passionate. Only our God is alive. You know, when I was a kid, I remember Mormon missionaries, they came to my house and my dad and I were talking with them and they wanted to chat about what they believed. And so my dad and I, um, we, we talked to them for a little bit, maybe 30 minutes, maybe longer. I don't fully recall, but I remember distinctly how they said, hey, let's open in prayer. And my dad didn't give them the option. He said, yes, I'll pray. And some of that was because it's like, we're in our house, and so that's how we're gonna do it. But also, I asked my dad later, I was like, so what's the, uh, why'd you, why were you so insistent? I was kind of curious, like what were they gonna pray? He said, they're, they're praying to the false God. They're not, they're not, they don't know Jesus Christ who's resurrected. And so we, we pray to the one who is alive, the real God. So friends, let's remember who our God is. Who is he? Jesus Christ. He died on the cross, but he rose on the third day. He ascended into heaven, and he is alive. He demonstrated he's victorious over death, and he promised he would return. So when we pray, it's not like a spiritual talk. It's not just lifting up sort of uh, these traditional poems to the skies or to the heavens. It's not even just reciting something uh, that might be, you know, said by somebody else. We're interceding. And we're interceding with the only one who can even answer our prayers. Remember Psalm 115, a great passage. I, I refer to this often when I talk with others who want to discuss this topic. Verses three to eight say, says this. Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. But their idols are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak. They have eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear. Noses but cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel. Feet but cannot walk. Nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Those who make them will be like them. And so will all who trust in them. You know, whenever there are those general faith meetings of people of all religious backgrounds coming together to pray, well, that's, uh, as, uh, as my uh, grandpa and grandma used to say, that's a bunch of baloney. Coming together and just praying like that is nonsense because those are uh, ineffective, non-existent, made-up 
gods that are being prayed to. Only Christians have prayers that are powerful and effective because they're directed to the only God who is powerful and effective and real. Whenever a tragedy strikes, people tend to urge others to pray. Please pray. Celebrities might say, superstars might say, please pray about the situation. And I'm all for when people are saying, hey, let's turn our attention off of ourselves and self-reliance and let's pray. However, unless they're praying to the creator and maker of heaven and earth, the one who sits on the heavenly throne, the one who's worthy to open the scroll and holds the eternal scepter, unless they're praying to him, their prayers have no effect. So let me remind us here while we're just thinking about this, do you realize the power you hold? If you're a born again Christian, do you, do, you, do you realize that you're part of that small percentage of the world that even knows their God and can pray and, and come to the Lord and urge him to move in certain ways and he hears your prayers? Revelation 1, 5 through 6 reminds us who our almighty God is. We're singing a lot of these similar phrases, but I love this. It says, Jesus loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood and made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father, to be, wait, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. What a treasure we hold. When there's an opportunity to pray, if you're among your coworkers or friends at school or family members around dinner table, whatever it may be, you know, you might be asked to pray. You're kind of like the token one who actually is, uh, you know, the one who goes to church, how they might say it, but you really know God. If you have the opportunity, pray. You may be the only one among that group that actually knows Jesus and you can pray and you can have prayers that are heard. So here we have God getting Jonah's attention in this second way, the captain's rebuke. What a unique moment in Jonah's story. When was the last time God got your attention in a big way? Tomorrow is September 11th, and um, I'd like to share with you one of my lowest moments of my Christian walk. It's not one that I have ever told, and it's also one that's super... uh, uh, uncomfortable. But in praying for weeks now, I feel like I should share it with you. So when I was in high school, we used um, AOL Instant Messenger. You guys remember that? Good old AOL, right? AIM. That's what we called it. Well, uh, I distinctly remember coordinating with um, a girl and one of my classmates. Uh, to uh, We made plans to have a little rendezvous to do a bunch of inappropriate stuff. And I was a Christian. I truly loved the Lord, um, but I was completely disillusioned by lust and uh, did not see my way out of like that scenario. Uh, The idea of being blinded is totally true. I mean, as if I was wearing a blindfold, just put myself right in a situation that is completely inappropriate. So we planned it all out. We had our location. We had uh, what we were gonna do. We uh, had it all thought out. So I wake up. Um, we, we planned this out. We texted about this on September 10th, 2001. It was going to be the next day. So I wake up September 11th, going to school, thinking I'm going to round the bases tonight and that it's going to be a good night. Well, then the terror attack happens. And instead of me enjoying my little... Um, what do they call it, sexapade or something? 
Um, I was instead at church that night for an impromptu prayer service. And my heart wasn't right because I was just like totally ticked off that this was happening in a sense. I mean, I know I recognize the gravity of the situation, but I just was like so in, involved and, and so self-absorbed and blinded by the lust. And uh, through that church service that night, I don't know when, I don't even remember the details. All I know is by the time it ended, my heart went, by God's mercy, I, um, I had repented. I had just given it over. Um, totally uh, walked in newness of life after that. I, I um, never even brought it back up with that girl. She didn't either. And we just moved on. Like that never became a thing. Um, and I've just thought about that often, how God, of all the different days to coordinate that, that incident, how he allowed us to uh, plan for it to be that night that there was also the other stuff happening. And um, let's uh, simply say God used the extreme scenario there to get my attention in a very, very honest way. I was, uh, I was in high school, but I still knew who Jesus was and what it meant to be a follower of Christ, and I still really wanted that. And so I was able to just cut some of that stuff out of my life and begin chasing after him and not be who I was before that moment. So let me ask you, how about you? It may not be that kind of extreme scenario, but can you think of a time when God got your attention, where God grabbed hold of you, Maybe something to you, maybe something in external circumstance, but it happened to affect you in one way or the other, and it's as if the blinders came off. I mean, you literally were one person when you woke up, and by the time you went to bed, you were seeing clearly. Has that happened to you before? This story here in Jonah reminds us of two types of sleeping people in the world, and these are the two I wanna focus on here as we, as we wrap up. First of all, you have the sleeping sinner. This is the person who is not a believer. They have never encountered God's redemption. They are not born again Christians. This is the majority of the world. They are literally sleeping in their sin. Another word to use would be they're dead in their sin, but in the case of, the, you know, in light of this metaphor, let's use sleeping. Christ's atonement has paid for their sin but they have not responded. They have not received it. They have not allowed what he's done to let them walk in victory and change their heart and transform them. They are not born again. And therefore, they have one path. It's a path or an eternal destiny, one in hell, based on what we see in scripture. There is no like middle ground. There's no second chances in something called purgatory. This is not, that's not at all what we see in scripture. Second Corinthians 4 describes this dynamic a little bit. Paul wrote this, starting in verse one. Therefore, since God in his mercy has given us this new way, we never give up. We reject all shameful deeds and underhanded methods. We don't try to trick anyone or distort the word of God. We tell the truth before God, and all who are honest know this. If the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil, it is hidden only from people who are perishing. 
Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. You see, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. So here we see a very clear explanation about how those who are not born again, those who are outside of Christ, there is a, there's a veil, there's a cover, an un, um, unable to see. And so that's why you can have two people who, and it doesn't matter the background, you can have two who are of, I don't know, children, you can have two who are um, academically trained. You, have, you can have two who um, even you know, speak Hebrew or, well, no one speaks ancient Greek now, but Hebrew. Um, you can have two people in the same scenarios and tell them the same stuff. And one person can respond saying, I believe that message. Jesus is the Messiah. I do trust in Jesus as my Lord. And the other person hears the same exact thing. And they say, I just don't, I don't believe it. Some of us here, um, you know, are in that latter group. Far more within our community are in that latter group in which you can share the gospel with them and they just look back with blank stares. I mean, maybe they're cordial about it and they're like, okay, well, I respect that. Sometimes they're abrasive about it. It doesn't really matter the response. My point is that they're spiritually blinded. There are those who are spiritually sleeping and their destiny is apart from God. And so how do you know if you're sleeping in this way? Well, it's because you're not born again. And so your action step today or this week, I mean, I urge you as soon as possible, but hey, I recognize that maybe some of you wanna think about it. I don't know. It's, I don't know why you would, but your step is to do what Jonah was told to do. Arise and call upon God. So arise, get up out of, wake up and call upon God. Jesus Christ, your savior, he has saved. The gift is there, will you receive it? Ephesians 5, 14 says this, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Friends, some of you are sleeping, some of you at home watching this are sleeping, some of you who will watch this in the future, you are sleeping and you need to wake up. There's a second person that this story describes, a second sleeping person, and it is what I'm calling the slumbering saint. Saint as in you are a follower of Jesus Christ, but you're sleeping. You're taking anywhere from a nap to a long snore fest, Rip Van Winkle style. This is the person who's a genuine believer. They've placed their faith in Jesus Christ. It wasn't lip service. It was a true change of their heart. They are born again, and God has given them a new heart, but they have grown disillusioned. I have been in those small windows of my life, those small moments. By God's mercy, they didn't extend too long. And the slumbering saint is one where uh, we can all relate to, and I speak about this because if you are not there, you could become that person. That could be part of your, your future. 
And so we must be on guard. We must think about this, talk about this. We must celebrate when God has pulled us out of it, not because of our own doing, not because we're so awesome or something, but because God's mercy has stepped in and has stopped the nonsense and allowed us to turn to him. There's this quote by Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon. He writes on this. I don't have it on the screen, but let me read it for you. It says, yeah, he wrote this. This was one of his sermons. 150 years ago, he said, one of the devices of Satan is slumbering. He seeks to lull God's prophets into slumber, for he knows that dumb dogs that are given to sleep will never do any very great injury to his cause. The wakeful watchman, Satan always fears, for then he cannot take the city by surprise. But if he can cast God's watchman into slumber, well, then he is well content and thinketh it almost as well to have a Christian asleep as to have him dead. Satan would certainly sooner see him in hell, but next to that, he is most glad to see him rocked in the cradle of presumption, fast asleep. Now, friends, are, are you slumbering? Was there a time when you were spiritually more awake than you are now? Are you taking a nap 1 Corinthians 15, 34, the first part says this, wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning. What an exhortation we have for us today as well. Let us wake up if we are asleep. I'll admit in full disclosure, it doesn't sound like you guys are asleep for how strong that worship was the last 30 minutes. But in light of my background in uh, how I have, uh, I have both sat quietly in my sin until God has led me to repentance, and I've also sung worship with sin in my life until I have repented of that. Well, you all can too. And so let us have a genuine Holy Spirit evaluation. If we are sleeping, let us wake up. I'm like the captain of the ship saying, what are you doing sleeping? There's literally a battle going on and you're taking a nap. I've got three indicators for you that you might be sleeping. Uh, first is that church is no longer prioritized for you. Now you might hear that and think, Adam, why are you using that one? Because I'm literally in church right now. So that's like, check. That's the one. Well, um, it's because uh, the reality is, uh, while you might be here right now, you may not always be here because you'll become disillusioned thinking in, in your earthly, man-made, stupid wisdom, you'll be thinking that you're right by walking away from your Christian family. How dumb. What a disillusionment from the enemy. He makes, he makes you work up five to 10 things and you convince yourself that you're right by like mowing your grass on a Sunday when we're all worshiping in here. How stupid. And, and then you, your future self I'm talking to, you will, you will then talk to me or somebody here and you'll say, yeah, you, and you give all the reasons and we sit and listen and go, no, it's completely wrong. And, and it, because God's people gather to worship. And goodness, it's America 2023. Like, 
We only worship once a week. Man, God forbid you had to live in the 50s. Well, some of you did, but, you know. As a parent, bringing your kids there, that's what I'm talking about. I know, I know. And so, uh, let me just remind you of a few things. If you get to the place where you begin to get disillusioned about things, first of all, this town has amazing churches. If legacy ain't the place for you, there's wonderful churches to be a part of. I, I gather with those pastors all the time. We beg and we pray for you, intercede for you, look out for you. What a wonderful place to be if God has put you here. There are some Christians who are in places where they're like one of five Christians in their whole city and they make it work. Well, friends, make it work. That's one thing. Sometimes the Lord, not the Lord, the enemy, in our thinking, he, he disillusions us and makes us think that we can create like better ways and just reject the system. And it's really, um, it's sad because what happens is then you, you walk away from the Christian brotherhood and sisterhood, the encouragement of the saints gathering together, the, even the element of, you become like a sheep without a shepherd. You wander around in the woods on your own. And if you do that, you get eaten. Remember at Easter I talked about how we had all these kittens? Yeah, one of them wandered in the woods and never came home, all right? Yeah, oh, okay, sorry. Sorry, I got used to it already. It's been a while. Um, Worked through that emotion. Uh, It was actually the McCready's cat, so there you go. Yeah, sorry, guys. But you know, you didn't get the one that would have died anyway at your own place, so there you go. It was was not survival of the fittest. It didn't make the cut. It was the cutest one, but nonetheless, some of you, you're the cutest one among among the bunch, and you're gonna wander off and, and get snatched up. So don't be like that. So that's the one indicator. You start to just say like, yeah, the gathering of my Christian family, I don't wanna be there. I don't feel like going to Thanksgiving every week. Okay, okay, so that's something. And if that offends you, I would love to talk more with you on that. I literally like love this, this t- topic of ecclesiology. It's kind of like my thing. And so let us talk. I can um, genuinely listen, but then savagely defend why this is part of our faith and our heritage for 2,000 years. Secondly, uh, you are no longer using your spiritual gift. You know, maybe, maybe you've just come to the place where you have gotten, uh, tired or lazy or um, actually believe in the lie that it doesn't matter. And friends, I'm here to say it desperately matters for the well-being of our church family. When you read the book of Acts, you see how everybody came together. They all worked together. It was a wonderful little, uh, I don't know, ecosystem of relationships and God working together. And he uses and he gifts, he gifts us in order to love one another well and to express and to edify, literally the phrasing is edifying the church body strengthening us as a church family. And so if you only have, you know, a quarter of the people strengthening one another, there's a lot of weaknesses. There's a lot of deficiencies. And so if God has gifted you in leadership, lead, lead anything, lead a group. It doesn't even have to be a program, but just lead something. If he's gifted you with mercy, 
extend and show mercy on a regular basis. He is equipping you to use that. Our church needs that. Hospitality, use it to the fullest extent. Words of knowledge, whatever it may be, down the whole list, begin to use your gift within the church family. The third one is that studying scripture is no longer a habit. And so, right, so you have church is no longer prioritized, you're no longer using your spiritual gift, and studying scripture is no longer a habit. Uh, one of the first songs we sang this morning was about God's presence and longing for that, just wanting more and more of God. Do you crave God? Are, are you looking forward to, to time with God? And it's specifically studying the scripture where you are nourishing yourself. I mean, some of us are looking forward to an Egg McMuffin more than we are a morning devotional. Or we're looking forward to a TV show, and not The Chosen, but like another TV show in which we just want to, we can't wait for that, but then like, you know, look at scripture and it just kind of, it has lost its allure. Maybe at one point you just couldn't get enough of it. And now you're like, eh, week by week. Like, oh, there's, you know, it's just not a thing. If that is you, if you're in that latter part, let me urge you to pray that God would stir in you a passion to read his word. I think one of the most honorable prayers that God could hear from his own people, his own children, is this cry to say, Lord, help me to know you more, to grow in my faith, to be passionate about reading your literal, authoritative, inerrant, inspired word that we can know you and grow in our faith. God will hear that prayer and answer it all day. Now your prayer for like a million bucks, yeah, he may not. But the prayer for knowing him all day long. I wanna encourage us to be the kinds of people who are no longer sleeping, but that we would wake up and walk in the newness of life. So if you're a slumbering saint, your call is the same as Jonah's. Or yeah, the, the call that Jonah heard from that captain, arise and call upon your God. In a little bit, we will read it next week, but Jonah talks about who he is. He says, my Hebrew, I fear God. You know, like That could be very similar. You're just saying, I fear God. I, I do know him. I'm just, I've just been sleeping in the bottom of the boat. Okay, well, it's time for you to say, God, I'm tired of a spiritual life of mediocrity. I'm tired of sleeping. Would you wake me up and allow me to walk in what you have called me to? So whether you, wherever you are, uh, the, the sleeping sinner, the slumbering saint, let me read for you Romans 13. And then, um, Trenton, you and the team, how about you guys come up here to lead us in this last song? Romans 13 says it this way. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Friends, that is our challenge. And so when you lay down in your bed tonight and you're sitting on your mattress, ask yourself, Am I, I'm about to sleep. Am I spiritually sleeping? You put your head on your nice little comfy pillow. I guess some of you have like rock hard pillows. That's not really my style. Mine's a big plushy thing. Put your head on the pillow and ask yourself, am I allowing this like, 
spiritual plush, you know, pillow of sin to wrap my mind or God and his word and the helmet of salvation and laying down, yeah, even though I'm about to sleep, laying down and I'm, I'm spiritually awake. Use, use tonight even as you, I mean, do it now, but when you're laying down tonight, between now and then, do a little evaluation.